This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Drive to deep center field, going back Hernandez at the track, right to the wall, gone, Elvis Andrews! And 29 other MLB clubs. High drive, deep left field, Nino's left the building. Guerrero lifts one to left field, and gone! Oh, Tani! That was a moonshot out there in the right center. Alonzo defends his title, the 2021 Derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe from OPS Plus to juiced balls to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. That's right. We are back for another edition of A's Cast Live from the field. Ricky Henderson Field here in Oakland. And let me tell you, it is a steamy one here out on the field. You know when you watch football games and they say it's like, it's 95 degrees, but on the field it's like 104. It is one of those days. But we've got a jam-packed show for you. Our buddy John Shea, the national beat writer, for the San Francisco Chronicle, I should say MLB National Beat Writer, columnist. He's got a new book out talking about the old owner of the athletics, Steve Schott. It's really a fascinating read. I've been going through it. We're going to have him on at 415. Jared Koenig got his first career victory, is going to be here on the set. I haven't, ha- I haven't actually talked to him since he was a little kid, so this will be a lot of fun, as I know his dad, Greg, real well. And then Eno Saris, national baseball columnist from The Athletic, will also be here on the set, A's Cast Live. If you're listening on the stream, thank you so much. If you're watching us on YouTube or you're watching on Twitter, at AthleticsCast24, thank you for tuning in. As always, if we do have news, we'll stop everything. <laughs> we'll literally stop everything. I won't go into a monologue. I won't. We'll just go straight to Jessica Kleinschmidt. You have news as there's been a boatload of moves today around the Oakland Athletics. Yeah, a lot of old familiar faces back in the in the clubhouse today. We, of course, have Nick Allen back, Sheldon Noisy's back. We actually spoke to Sheldon. He had a little bit of stuff that he needed to work on. He's actually very simplifying Uh, as far as it pertains to approaching his plate approach. And he actually managed to make that even more simpler, which is kind of impressive. But the one thing that um, we wanted to talk to Kotze about was the fact that Danny Jimenez is on the IL. Um, Luckily, there was no structural damage when they did an MRI. Looks like it's going to stay with the shoulder strain. Um, But for now, as far as the closing role, while it was never established for Danny Jimenez to be the closer, they did mention A.J. Puck possibly could be the guy to take over. And then Domingo Acevedo's name also was thrown into the ring as a possible closing option. Um, So that was the main thing. And then Sam Moles on the COVID IL. That's always a finicky timeline because the as it pertains to coming back, we don't really know the numbers as far as those days go, but he can't give any more details. So we don't really know how long we'll be without Sam Mole. But that is good news from Danny Jimenez as far as no structural damage is concerned. So that basically means like right now I could go find our friend Paul Blackburn recently on Ace Cast Live and go tell him he's going to be going to Dodger Stadium for the All-Star game. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Like who else... I mean, the only guy at one point that you thought because he had that run where he was really good, now he's fallen way back, and now he goes on the IL, Danny Jimenez. I mean, somebody's got to go, and usually when you're a team that struggles and the Athletics definitely struggling at 23 and 45, uh, they're going to have one guy, and it's going to be a pitcher, and 
it's going to have to be Paul Blackburn. It will be. And, you know, Zach Jackson's name was brought up as far as a possible closer role, and he was he was pretty promising right out of the gate. But like you said, a lot of these guys kind of fell to the wayside. Um, but, you know, we'll see what happens. It's kind of, as far as the all-star stuff goes beyond Paul, Paul Blackburn, it's a betting game at this point. On this show, I love to be ultra positive because things can change as we go later in the day as we get into the pregame show, which we call A's Total Access. And then after the game, I do the A's Clubhouse show, and that's when the mood really turns after dark. But here on A's Cast Live, we like to have a positive stance on pretty much all things baseball, except how we handle starting pitching. Um, I will be real honest. You don't really have a closer when you have a record like the record you have. Yeah, you said that heading into the show. So, and like, so like, we're, we're designating people who could pitch at the end of the game, and but to say that someone's the closer? From the beginning, from the beginning, we never really dubbed anybody the closer. And when we used the term closer, we did quote it because it depends on, as far as the actual analytical term is involved, we do have some guys that we would ultimately love to take over that role. But you're right, we don't have a, a strict closer role and I think that was the case throughout the entire season I think it's more or less like who's not going to be necessarily the setup guy but we've been kind of I've noticed a lot of experimentation with that so I think they're going to continue with that as well so despite all that I think it's just a one less arm out of the bullpen and maybe not the definitive role as it pertains to calling it a closer. Johnny on the spot you got all the info thank you. I sure do thanks guys it's so hot it is it is so hot I mean, you could stay there and just hang out all show for a couple no, hours. No, I told Townie I'm just coming in for five <laughs> seconds and then I'm leaving, going up to my air-conditioned press box. Thank you. Oh, good stuff, good stuff. You know what the reality is, is this kind of weather for the East Bay, not this part of the East Bay, when you go deeper into the East Bay, like if you're down Pleasanton, you're in P-Town, you're in Dublin, you go out to Livermore, this is average in summertime. I can't tell you how many times I've played Winty Golf Course in this exact same weather. But when you're in Oakland, and especially you're in San Francisco, and people go, I don't have air conditioning. How are we going to survive? I mean, the bottom line is this. We live in this weather down the South Bay. Not, It's not that big of a deal. Yeah, uh, I think it was supposed to be 102 today in San Jose. Uh, so if it's going to be 102 in San Jose, it's 90-something here in Oakland. Uh, I'm going to Texas on Thursday. It's supposed to be like 105. Oh, no, no, that's a whole different. That's yeah. that. That's a. Different. It's a dry heat, as they like to say. No, that's not dry heat. I'm joking. That's just, that's humidity and wet heat. Yeah, it's just a uh, good thing. The wedding I'm going to is inside. Look who's showing up right here. Oh, I mean the guy. One, te- I texted him the other day to go meet up with him in uh, left field, and he just completely blew me off. This is the king of our. This is the last eye bar. Come here so they can see you. Yeah, you're on TV. We'll get you on. Come around in the back that way. He's got his uh, laser Ramon cutout. That's the actual cutout. Get on the headset. Why not? Why not? We're a show of unpredictability. I mean, he is one of our sponsors. That's true. How are you? I'm good. Are we on air? Yeah, yeah. we're live. Look. What do you mean? You're a P1. You should know when we're on the air. Yeah, aren't you supposed to be listening right now? I am uh, listening and or getting the banners set up, but it, we're a little early because we're doing a pregame today and getting on the field. So I love the the laser Ramon. So did you you made this happen when we were doing the cutouts in 2020? Yeah. So I had this banner in 2019, 
and we basically took Razor Ramon's body. I put his head on it, added some, you know, curls, big gold chains. And the then, bad uh, guy. Yeah, the bad guy. And then, uh, yeah, and then it's just the rest is history. So he has a banner, and then the one he has signed, I had that at my house, and then I reprinted it so we can hang up there. So, obviously, Last Dive Bar, one of our great sponsors here now. Just yes, sir. talk about how everything's been going ever since you came on board. Oh, it's been great. So we've had a lot of first-time customers, people that uh, only heard of us basically through A's Cast. So, um, so it's been great. Um, but we basically make A's-inspired merchandise, and we donate all the proceeds back to the community fund and also back to their affiliated charities. So we've been doing it since 2019. It is a win-win yeah. for everybody. Go to the website. Because you're always, as things come up, like we had the possum running wild in the uh, press box. <laughs> yes. You made something for the possum. And you're always we keeping did. up. It's like you're ahead of everybody else when it comes to marketing. Yeah, we, we, we try to stay on top of it. And I, I try to always listen to what you say, what Cody says, what Ken says, what everybody says. And if I, I, I just get an idea and it goes in my head and then... I have a team of just two other guys, and we basically do all the banners, all the designs, all the shirts, all the merchandise, and we have a small family-owned business out of San Jose, three sisters. They do all of our printing, and so it's literally six of us that do all of this, but primarily two and a half, three, three guys. And once again, everything that you buy goes back either to the A's Community Fund yes. or to one of their affiliated charities, so yeah. this is not something like, you know, when I'm wearing the shirts or whatever we're doing, it, it, it's about it's about the community fund. It's for charities. It's, it's all for charity, yeah. It's all for charity, and it's all uh, basically to express our love, our passion for the A's. You know, I've been coming, you know, to games since I was my son's age, and he's standing right here. Braden, come here. Look at you're on TV. You're on YouTube. Say hi, Braden. Say hi. And so, so we've been uh, we've been doing this. You know, he's I've not been doing impressed this. by the yeah, way. Yeah, no, he's not. He, he wants to see Ramon and Tony and everybody. So. But, uh, you know, we appreciate everything you guys do. Um, even before, you know, Die Bar and everything, you know, A's cast diehard listener right here from day one. Love it. Well, I, go enjoy. Yeah. We call yeah. that a P1. P1, you're yeah. P1. People have yeah. no idea what you're saying when you say P1. P1. And by the way, Cody's man bun is really Awful. coming into its own. No, it's coming into its own, I feel. Isn't Look, that see, one of the ugliest yeah. things you've ever seen? It, it is. Like if we were like a, a soccer show. <laughs> <laughs> and we were like soccer guys who don't shower. And no, that, yeah. If European. only people knew the meaning yeah. behind it. No, he would make the team for sure. I mean, it's, I might be the striker. You'd be the captain. Yeah. I mean, I have you, give me have, the armband now. Have you showered in weeks? Uh, last week. Yeah. That's fun. That's fine. Maybe I was two weeks ago, so you got me there. <laughs> there you go. All right, you guys. Thank have fun you. with laser. Can't believe I'm on this uh, Ace Cast right now. And by the way, you'll <laughs> be able to see it on YouTube later. That's crazy. Look at that, Martin Gallegos. Wow. Everybody's down superstars here. Superstars down here. Holy smokes. Okay, I gotta go, folks. Enjoy yourself. Thank you, Chris. Great Thank to you, see you. Thank you for everything see that you, you do. Hell yeah. Oh, pff, of course. And you guys go to lastdiebar.com. Buy something. <laughs> it's for charity. It's for charity. Yeah. There's been a flurry of moves, if, if you haven't heard. I mean, so it was yesterday Luis Pereira was sent back down to AAA. Not a shocker because he was four for his last 35 over the last 16 games, hitting a buck 14. Now, the A's have recalled Kirby Sneed, Nick Allen, Sheldon Noisy. They've added Domingo Tapia. They placed Danny Jimenez on the 15-day DL. Sam Moles on the COVID-19 list. And then 
I don't want to rip this. It's not fair, but I'm just going to say if you listen to this program, I was not a huge fan of it. Like signing a 31-year-old who all he does is strike out and he's not good defensively, Matt Davidson. Matt Davidson has been DFA'd. So there's your moves of guys coming up, guys going down. Dave, I mean, as a team that's in transition, as a team that's pivoting, as a team, whatever the heck you want to call it, I, I never knew the point of bringing in a 31-year-old guy who is just another lack of contact guy. That's not what this, that's not what this team needs at all. This team doesn't need more strikeouts. This team doesn't need a lumbering slow player. This, this team needs youth. This team needs something different than what they've had. And I, I didn't understand what bringing in a guy like Matt Davidson, what, what were you trying? I mean, I guess you're trying to catch lightning in the bottle because you, you might feel like you're a little desperate for home runs because you've been a team that's relied so heavily on home runs the last couple of years. But – are you shocked how it went down? He gave you one home run. He gave you airs and a ton of strikeouts. I mean, it's exactly who what his resume said he was going to give you. I'm not shocked, and the A's still are a team that relies on the home run. Now, I know they're second to last in Major League Baseball how home runs. What? But when the A's hit a home run, they're 16 to 15. They're above 500. When they don't, 7 and 30. Well, I mean, the biggest bugaboo is lack of contact. I mean, they uh, have sure. to be able to well, that's make That's why they're in the contact. bottom half, literally the last bottom three in every statistical category as a team. So speaking of a – before we get to John Shea, I have some rankings that's going to make you realize somebody's going to be better off after these three games. We don't know who yet because Seattle comes in here struggling. Seattle, because of, I don't know, why did they play five games? They didn't have rain. Uh, maybe there was a double header. Well, was obviously, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, Most everybody's doing these five game series like we had oh, Detroit because prob- of weather. They're, maybe their second series of the year was against Seattle. Okay. They, I, I don't know. There's nothing I'm assuming. Maybe. Or so, maybe they're, they're, they're open this season was against Seattle. So the Mariners lost four or five over the weekend, four or five at home in a series. They on Sunday had a players a players actually it was an all as a players and staff meeting from what we're hearing, so they went to the old we're gonna air everything out card. Hey, the Marlins did that and they're playing better, which rarely doesn't work, and it will work if it ever does work. People play that card to the hilt. It's it's the majority of time when you lay oh, or we're all going to put it on the line here we're all going to put it you know it's like whatever apparently the Braves did it and they won 14 in a row but you're right it doesn't always work do you realize how many teams have done it in the history of baseball and they never won a one squat you know you know me i look, you I like look for the outlier you go for the outlier oh, I, I told you the Marlins remember this when this happened this year and then they went out and won the world series well it, so many bad teams have the Oh, have, my favorite is we're going to kick the coaches out and it's going to be a players-only meeting. <laughs> you know how many of those teams never made the playoffs? I can tell you, 99% of them, but whatever. So they had the meeting. We'll see. They went and had the meeting yesterday. What happened in yesterday's game? Uh, the Mariners? Yeah. They didn't play yesterday. Oh, yeah, they did. They played the Angels. They lost. They lost. Uh, they got shut out. By the way, they've been shut out 10 times. The A's have been shut out eight times. Mariners are tied for the league lead in shutouts with. Detroit, who, have a, who has a record bad offense. So the Mariners are scoreless in their last 21 innings against the Angels. They dropped 8 of 11 on their homestand. 
So when you start looking at the A's and the Mariners, both these teams are in the bottom five of MLB and runs scored per game. Seattle's 25th, while the A's are 29th. They're also tied, I love this stat, for last in Major League Baseball for runners scored from third base with less than two outs at 44%. That's such an obscure stat, but I'm not surprised. <laughs> so so, so what, what I'm trying to say is something's got to give. Somebody is going to come out here in the next three days and win this series. I agree. S- someone's going to score more runs than the other team. I mean, that's how you win a game. You have to score more runs than the other team. Maybe I'll say this for later, but I'll – Somebody's going to do it. I'll equate why I think the Mariners are equivalent to an NFL team, which is pretty – I think it's pretty a pretty good comp. You're going to compare the Mariners to an NFL team? Yeah, we'll, we'll save it after for maybe after John Chair later in the show. But I do want to do it before, we, before the series starts. What? Oh, no. Oh, I thought I left the book. All righty, our buddy John Shea, national baseball columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle, has just written a book about Steve Schott, the longtime owner. Schott and Hoffman, you remember that? Went through the Moneyball era, had some really good years. They've come out with a new book. The book is Long Shot, Building Homes, Dreams, and Baseball Teams. Steve Schott, forwarded by a guy that doesn't talk a lot, about his time with the Oakland Athletics. It's forwarded by Paul D. Podesta. Paul, B. Paul, Paul D. Podesta did not want his name in Moneyball. That's why they named Jonah... Um, Jonah Hill, Paul, uh, Peter, Jonah Brandt. Hill. Peter Brandt. Peter Brandt. So here is the book, Long Shot, Steve Shot, Bay Area guy, grew up in the South Bay, went to Bellarmine Prep, was a baseball player, pitched at Santa Clara, loved the game, and especially I think this book would be good for a lot of you guys that were really young, someone like Cody during the Moneyball era, where the, the, the movie has shaped what you thought the A's were. And that's really not the truth. Great book, inspirational book, great movie, was up for an Oscar, but it wasn't even close to what was going on here. You had great players. You know, right before the Moneyball year, you had the MVP in Jason Giambi. Then you had the MVP in Miguel Tejada. You had the big three. You had all kinds of great players. And they spent some money. And they acted like they didn't. It was ridiculous. I mean, but it was a great book, whatever. And what what you're getting here is you're getting, with a book like this, you're getting other people's side of the story. And there's a lot that goes in here. goes about from Sandy Alderson to Billy Bean. Uh, Steve Schott and Ken Hoffman, Schott and Hoffman, they were put together. They weren't buddies. They were brought together to buy the team from the Haas family. So they didn't necessarily get along. There's a lot of history in this book. Here's our buddy from the San Francisco Chronicle, the author of Long Shot. Here is our guy, John Shea. Well, today is a special day, no question, for our good friend John Shea. He's our national baseball writer here in the Bay Area and has done such great work over the years covering Major League Baseball, the Oakland A's, the San Francisco Giants for us, for the San Francisco Chronicle. He's got another book out, Long Shot, Building Homes, Dreams, and Baseball Teams, Steve Schott and uh, former owner of the Oakland Athletics. John, first off, congratulations on another great piece of work. Hey, Chris. Uh, 
thanks a lot. And, uh, you know, I, I don't care how many books you write, and I've done five, uh, including the Willie Mays book most recently and the Ricky Henderson book as well, his autobiography. But today is the pub date, and the pub date is always an exciting time, no matter how many of these you've written. And uh, it, 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 it's pretty cool. Thank you. Well, and the thing that I like about this book going through the book is there are, and, and before we get into the Moneyball era and all that, I mean, there's so many different views of how it went down, which really makes it fascinating because most people's reference is basically the book Moneyball and then the movie Moneyball, but everybody around it goes, ah, that's not even close to how it went down. But I think for Steve Schott, what a lot of people don't know, you just think, oh, it's a rich guy who owns a baseball team. But this is a Bay Area guy. This is a guy that grew up in the South Bay. This is a guy that went to Bellarmine Prep. He's a guy that went to Santa Clara. He played baseball at Santa Clara. I mean, he, I mean, he's done a lot for the Santa Clara baseball team. I mean, this guy, you know, everybody just thinks of him as an owner and a home builder, but he's a baseball guy through and through. Yeah, that's right. And he's one of the few guys in Bay Area sports franchise history who really didn't inherit his money. I mean, you could you could go down the list. Uh, I mean, all the way back to Horace Stoneham, whose dad owned the team. Bob Lurie, whose dad made the big money around the city. Uh, Eddie DeBartolo Jr., the Yorks, uh, Peter McGowan, Safeway, um, even the Haas ownership, uh, and John Fisher, obviously. But you know, on the other hand, you know, there's Charlie Finley, who was self-made. Al Davis, obviously, was self-made. And, and Steve Schott, you know, who had 500 bucks in his pocket when he got married and then uh, became so wealthy, he bought a baseball team. And it, it, it is pretty cool that this isn't just about him, the person, but it's about Bay Area sports history. I mean, he was uh, one of the lead guys when Oakland – tried to bring an expansion team to the city once the Raiders moved to L.A., and he was going to be the majority owner. And there's a whole lot of uh, descriptions on how all that went and how he got into the A's. And it's not just his voice. I interviewed more than 100 people, you know, including Billy Bean and, yeah. and all the managers during the Moneyball years, and they all had input, and they're all um, – you know, included with italicized quotes on pretty much every page. Paul D. Podesta, the guy who really never wanted to be quoted, wrote this amazing forward for the book. And, you know, his explanation is uh, you know, he, Steve Schott gave us the autonomy to work within the box from that uh, with the restricted revenue and the restricted, restricted payroll. We had to be creative. We had to get more bang for the buck. Thus, Moneyball, and it's more relevant and relevant today than 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 ever. And it all started under that ownership, and so it's a whole lot of stories behind the scenes that never been told, including from the people who lived it through that era: the managers, the GMs, the players, the equipment guys, the clubhouse guy, as you know, the lot of lot of lot of people that Ace fans are very familiar with. Yeah, and, and Paul D. Podesta says right here in the book that Steve wanted to win as badly as any other owner. Well, yeah, he was pretty competitive, and you, you never really saw him in a front-row seat. And he didn't even like hanging out with his family up in the suite because he got so mad at some of these games. And uh, he would cuss, and he just didn't want to be around people. He, he's competitive, and that's kind of why he was so 
successful and is successful in, in business, turning you know profits after helping to build the Silicon Valley with forty thousand plus homes, uh, you know through his business. He his mentor Wayne Valley was a Raider owner and hired Al Davis twice, first to be a coach, and then Wayne Valley brought him back later when Al Davis was the uh, uh, the commissioner of the AFL, and he brought him back to own part of the team. And one thing led to another. Davis you know, dropkicked uh, Wayne Davis off the ownership group and took over himself in a big power play, all described in the book. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, he's a competitive dude. And there's a, there's a great story that was never told after the A's lost another one of those five game division series, this one against Minnesota, when Steve went down there and, and all kind of hell broke loose in the manager's office. And uh, there's some, pretty colorful detail of what happened you know one thing that i didn't know uh going through this book shot and hoffman were put together they weren't two guys that say hey let's buy the team they were put together and it goes over it a little bit but obviously they were at odds with each other something i think a lot of ace fans don't know about that time Absolutely. There was a lot of friction between those two owners and Steve Schott isn't afraid to explain why. And he said that was one of the reasons I sold because it just wasn't working. Uh, Steve Schott was appointed by Bud Sidley as the managing general partner, meaning he had the say, even though it was a 50-50 split. But Ken Hoffman always seemed to think he was the guy. And he went to the owners meetings and he was talking and popping off and saying, this is what we're doing. And and eventually, Seelig had to get Hoffman's uh, attorney to write a letter uh, on behalf of Ken saying, hey, we're not going to do this anymore. Our, our bad. And, and you know, it, it just went on and on. And there was a, you know, big uh, age difference of about 15 years, Hoffman much older. And, you know, he came in from a partial ownership of the Seattle Seahawks, but they never really saw eye to eye. And the problem was Hoffman said, I, I won't sell unless you sell. And and so he was never going to bow out and and shot was never going to get another uh, partner. So it just went on and on like this. And Steve is pretty open about that relationship. But, yeah, I mean, sure, people don't always think highly of owners. I mean, remember, Joe Lacob got booed on the floor at Oracle Arena. I mean, things have changed a little bit, right, four titles later. But you remember Chris Cohan. Nobody loved that guy. Jed York was not a beloved dude. Uh, and Fisher now, obviously, nobody likes John Fisher. So there's always going to be that anti-owner sentiment. It's all net, you know, that's 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 part of the gig. But in this case, I tried to dig deeper than that and deeper than, well, Steve Schott is a cheapskate and, and find out what really happened in those years. And the results are, are pretty fascinating. They are. And there's so many different people that have so many different stories. And reading in this book where he talks about, knowing that Giambi's going to be a free agent, knowing that he's going to want to sign with the Yankees because of his dad, and that they made offers to Giambi. But yet I've had Giambi on this program, and Jason Giambi said the Oakland A's never gave him a formal formal proposal. Nothing was ever put in writing. Nothing was ever presented to his agents. But you hear from the A side, and now we're hearing from the former owner, oh, we made offers. So there's always a lot. This era of A's baseball, it's real. Wouldn't you say it at best is murky with a lot of different stories? 
Yeah, and, and there are different kinds of offers. You can make a verbal offer. You can make a written offer. And if you don't think that the player is going to sign and you know it's, he's got a one-way ticket to the Bronx and his dad is campaigning for him and he's, he's going to wear 25 uh, because that adds up to seven, which was the number for Mickey Mantle, who was the idol of uh, Jason Giambi's father. I mean, you knew the writing was on the wall and – when shot said there was an offer, yeah, it was more of a verbal offer. Here's what you're going to get. And, and it never got that far because, um, you know, first of all, the Yankee offer was, was for, even though the, the shot Hoffman group was willing to offer more than a hundred million dollars. Um, you know, the Giambi got the extra year, he got the extra few mil, plus he got Yankee stadium and it really worked out for the best because that that salary with that payroll was going to be so lopsided. It's kind of why the Giants traded Matt Williams. You know, Sabian talked about this forever. We weren't going to have Williams and Bonds on the same team because they were going to take up more than half the payroll. So they, they traded Williams and got a bunch of players. It's the same thing with the A's. Uh, it kind of worked out for the better. They maintained, uh, you know, a, a great teams in those early 2000s and the absence of Giambi kind of created Moneyball because Deep Podesta – uh, played by Jonah Hill and Peter Brand in the movie. Um, and Billy Bean had to be creative and think outside the box. And that's how the whole Scott Hatterberg thing happened and everything else in the movie. But this book goes kind of beyond the movie. Obviously, the movie didn't talk at all about Hudson and Mulder and Zito or GLB or Dodd or these MVPs and Cy Young candidates. So, yeah, it's a little it's a little deeper. I mean, this is not for a movie. It's not... Uh, you know, for for maybe the national audiences, maybe as much as the, the regional audience. But, you know, there's a whole lot of business stuff in there. How a guy who got fired in his 20s twice kind of overcame those obstacles and kept fighting. And next thing you know, he's building 40,000 homes and, uh, you know, he's filthy rich. And, you know, he's given back more than 100 million bucks to charities, mostly to, to education and schools and so it's 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 not like a, a silver spoon guy. I'm not sure I would have written a book about or with somebody like that because you know you're born at third base and all you have to do is walk home. Well, this guy was born at home plate and had to round the bases himself. So you don't get into Moneyball until chapter 21, and this seems to be a reoccurring thing. And obviously, Steve was not happy about this. The way Art Howe was portrayed in the movie, it really seems to rub everybody wrong. Absolutely. And and the movie was on TV last night. I was flipping around and I said, there's the movie. I'm talking to Chris tomorrow and I'm watching the movie tonight. And uh, you're right. I mean, the pudgy, negative, grumpy dude that was portrayed as Art Howe was nothing like the lovable, uh, you know, upbeat, uh, smart um, manager that you and I covered for many years. I mean, he was a gentleman's gentleman and respected throughout the game. He wasn't the, the clumsy guy who said all the wrong things and who didn't look right when he walked down the hallway at the Coliseum. Uh, and you know what? They, I mean, it's freaking Hollywood. I mean, that's how they do it. I talked to, uh, you know, different people who explained that the movie was, uh, you know, not even close to what reality, you know, was at the time. Uh, 
you know, from the clubhouse manager to the traveling secretary to the managers to the players, you know, all broke down the differences between reality and, and the movie. And of course, that was a bad portrayal of Art Howe. And Steve Shaw hated that. He hated the way Billy treated Art Howe. And he talks about it, about it vividly. And I brought those quotes to Billy himself. And he said, hey, that's fair. You know, it, 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 you look at the 30 teams now, the 30 teams now are doing basically what Billy and Paul and, and Art Howe or Maka or anybody else was doing then. In other words, everyone got together for the lineup. Everyone got together to decide what the bullpen's going to look like in the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings. We're going to let you know in advance if you're in the lineup. I mean, those are all things that Bob Melvin did the last 10 years under Bean and, and David Forrest. So th that was the introduction of it all. And, of course, Art Howe isn't going to like it. He was a baseball man, uh, you know, old-school baseball guy, uh, just like – um, you know, so many other managers at the time. So any manager in his position would have fought what Billy was trying and Paul was trying to uh, deliver, you know, like uh, in Farhan Zaidi as well. Yeah, hey, here's today's lineup. And say, what do you mean here's today's lineup? I'm writing my own lineup. Well, no, you ain't. And, uh, you know, <laughs> Mark Katze's not really writing his own lineup uh, these days. You know, we, we all know that. So it all started back then. And it, it, it's just a, it's just a, wonderful time for baseball to pivot to, to what it is today. And it's kind of broken down uh, with new insight in this book. Well, it's a fascinating read. The chapters are really quick. So I think a lot of the uh, younger fans will, will really love it. Long shot building homes, dreams, and baseball teams. Steve shot. Congratulations on another great book. And I'm so glad there's the dedication to our good friend, Sam Spear, uh, I've known Sam since my days in KMBR, and boy, my my phone rang all the time, uh, and got a ton of texts when things were going on with the A's. We know how much Sam loved the A's, the Raiders, the Warriors. He was such a wonderful man, and Sam at the track. Uh, uh, it's a very special book, and let me tell you, I hope you, I hope for nothing but the best for you with this. I think it's going to be a great, a great read, and I hope you sell a ton of them. Hey, Chris, thanks a lot. This uh, this was a lot of fun. And, yeah, uh, Sam Spear, our old friend, friend at the track, he worked for both the Giants and A's uh, during his Long Bay Area career. And he's the guy who got this book rolling. So, uh, you know, he sort of brought the sides together and, and, and sold it to us and uh, said, okay, let's do it. So, unfortunately, he passed away during the tail end of the uh, the process of writing the book. But uh, I was I was proud to – to uh to write my dedication to him great stuff good luck and uh in a little bit let's follow back up on more of the stories let's do it thanks a lot chris uh yeah it's a it's it's a great read once again long shot you like it uh if you're an a's fan it goes over a lot of what i think you can say is a glory time for the oakland athletics when he had the big three you had all the playoff runs you had giambi tejada Chavez, Chavi, I mean, it, it was definitely a good run. And uh, long shot, John Shea, and we'll have John on again to discuss it. Jared Koenig now joins us, and I think this is going to be an interesting interview for me because I've actually 
known you, uh, look how tall you are now. You were like a little <laughs> kid the last time I think we talked. Yeah. As I've known your dad for, for many, many years. Mm -hmm. And I remember him talking about you're going to have a chance to play college baseball uh, as you grew up there over the hill over 17. And you're like, okay, he's going to be a big-time prospect. And hearing about your journey and the fact that you're here now, it's truly um, an amazing story. I'm so happy for you, happy for your family. I think Father's Day was so incredible. Just what has this run been like for you and the family? Uh, I mean, yeah, it's been it's been incredible to say the least. Uh, a lot of a lot of perseverance went into this, and to to continue the dream and and support from the family and and mom and dad especially. And it's yeah, it's been awesome. And to get your first career win here in the Bay Area, and your dad Father's Day in the stands, Greg, just what was that like? That was awesome. It was a special moment to be able to do that and uh, I mean have him here is even better uh, for my third start and just to to be able to pitch well pitch somewhat more like I like I'm used to for myself and to go out and give the team a chance and then to be lucky to get a win and then to do it on Father's Day just even better. You know, your first two starts, let's be honest, two of the hottest teams, I've been going through my notes, two of the hottest teams in baseball continue to be the Atlanta Braves and the Boston Red Sox yeah. on the road, packed houses. I mean, that's adversity right there with obviously a team like the A's that's struggling. What were those two experiences like for you? I think they were great. Um, just the experience was awesome. It's great to, to learn. Yeah, I'm getting thrown into the fire and having to deal with it. I thought I competed really well in both both aspects of the games. I didn't quite throw as well as as well as I would have liked but I think I competed I think I showed a little more gumption and the, just the tenacity to 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 want to compete and be out there and yeah whether it's Kotze or it's Emerson you know because at any point you can come up you can have that start you don't throw exactly the way you want it boom you can get bit sent back down immediately yeah. right you got a ton of options so what did they say to you after both those starts that you knew you were going to get the ball again and then again? I think that after the first one, I think on the news he had just said that I was going to get another start, and then the next day he came up to me and he just talked to me and asked me like, kind of what I thought, what I'm learning about, and, and then he said, well, just make sure you're ready, continue to start and get ready for uh, Boston. And then after the next one, I think, I think they – I'm not sure how that one came about, but – I, I I think the next day, same thing, just get ready for Kansas City. That's usually what he, he comes up to me during BP or before warm-ups and says, hey, keep going. You're, you're throwing great. Keep grinding out there, and and we know we know you can do this. Now take us through the journey where whether you're pitching overseas, you're pitching an independent ball, at, the, at that point, do you ever really still have the dream that you're going to pitch in Major League Baseball? Or did you always believe you could be that guy? I always believed I could be that guy. Um, reality would tend to, to set in a little more um, with just me getting older. Um, mainly, yeah, mainly the factor was just getting older and like, all right, my time's running out in a sense. Um, and then it's like, I got I to gotta start making an actual living to where I can not have to live at home and be able to live on and be able to do things on my own. and. I got some other things I'd like to do, expensive hobbies, hunting and shooting. So it's like there's other things I'd like to support for myself that I 
I would want to continue to do that, but fortunate, stuck with it, and I got this opportunity, and I'm grateful for it. I try and tell people all the time, you know, when you're not a bonus baby, and as you get older, there are some tough, tough conversations, whether you got a wife, parents, or whoever saying, you know what, maybe this path isn't for you. You gave it a good shot. We love you. Now it's time to get a job. Go get a career. And you want to always have the mentality. You want to wait to have the uniform ripped off you, right, to yes. your force in. Yeah. And that's why I'm so proud of you is that you, you could have left easily. Yeah. And no one would have said a thing. No. I think you, I think Jonah Bride, I think Christian Bethencourt, I think guys like you are an inspiration to young players to let them know you got the rest of your life to work. Yeah, yeah trust me. You got the rest of your life, kids, to work. I think what you've done is an inspiration. What does that mean to you if I say that? Uh, that means a lot. Um, I, I think that's kind of my, my goal is just to be, to be an influence, a good influence for someone to, to continue to learn, continue to grind, um, to, to believe in yourself and to, to go after what you really want and kind of never stop going after what you love. And that's kind of, it's kind of what I've done. I've, I've been fortunate to be at least supported by my family with a roof. And then I can work and cover the rest myself for the most part and go from there. You know, talking about the difference, everybody says, well, what is it like? You know, it's, it's the big league level. And it's like, well, sometimes when you're pitching down in Vegas and you're pitching in, you're, and he's got a big smile. He knows what I'm talking about. You're pitching in dry weather. You're pitching in the desert. You're pitching in elevation. All these places are horrific to pitch in. And these places are band boxes. The balls are flying out. Coming to pitch on a cold night in Oakland's a whole different ball game, but yet you're facing a di different le level hitter. What has the transition just been like for you from AAA to the big leagues? Because both leagues, where you play, atmosphere, ballparks, everything's so different. I think the, the biggest thing's just adjusting. The first thing was being in Atlanta, 42,000 fans, and kind of adjusting to that kind of noise and, and everything around that. The, the next aspect is paying attention to the hitters which I was so nervous I could barely think uh, and, and being able to watch the hitters let alone shake off Murphy if I wanted to shake you know not that he was calling a bad game I just wasn't like I wasn't in the right mind to where I could think about it like I had so much else going on it felt like pressure and then realizing that the hitters don't swing and miss as much and then they recognize just a touch sooner the pitches and they're able to hold up a little sooner versus getting like that kind of half swing that's that goes through so that's been kind of the, the learning aspect with all of that. Yeah, I've noticed you struck out a lot more batters down there than you have here. That's definitely been a difference. Yeah, that's been a difference. And I think that tends to happen whenever I start. I just have to learn and figure out how to get the guys out again with strikeout pitches. Um, but it's just it's a constant learning game and adjusting and building off of each, each past experience. Yeah, I love how when people make their de debuts, everybody's like, you know, just do what you do, breathe, relax, and you're, your heart's about to pop out of your chest. I yeah. mean, when you're up there in Atlanta, I mean, obviously they're the defending world champions. You know all the names of their players. Take us through making that debut, and, like, you probably can't catch your breath. You got dry mouth. It's humid. Yeah, the, the humidity was a big factor. I mean, I haven't thrown in much humidity other than last year in the Texas League and a little bit in independent ball in different areas. But it was extremely humid, and it was one of the muggier days that I think they've had in the, to start the year, the baseball season. And, I mean, it's a 
great lineup and trying to breathe was a task in itself just trying to breathe and now where we are you got your first victory you now got a few starts you're kind of you know you I wouldn't say you're totally used to it but you're getting used to it just what does it mean to you that you could be doing this for we'll just say whether you're with the Giants here but any of the 28 other teams you don't care right you're the big leagues but to do it basically at home not a lot of guys ever get to play at home what's that like um it's it's something special I, I mean I grew up coming to here, coming to these games, and I mean going to Giants games obviously too. But here was is a little cheaper, a little easier to get to sometimes, and uh, you can get honestly better seats just because there's a few less fans here. Um, but being being here is awesome. Like that's, I mean the, the fans have always been supportive, and then being able to come here and then play, and I, I mean I can tell you where I've sat in the stadium at some point and yeah. <laughs> I can look at those seats and I'm like that's I, I used to be out there and now I'm out here and yeah. it's something special and yeah I, I mean I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here and can't can't thank the organization enough for giving me the opportunity yeah I think over in Aptos and in the Santa Cruz area you've been on the local news and a lot it's, <laughs> it's been big news that he's made the big leagues yeah. uh what has that been like for you know we know the family and we've seen family I've been texting with your dad and uh you know, obviously seeing your family in the stands in the games, but just friends you grew up with, everybody, what, what, what's that been like for you? Yeah, it's been hectic. There's, I mean, after I, I pitch every time now, I've, it seems like I'm on my phone for the rest of the day or into the next day. And just it's like I'm trying to answer everyone to, to not be disrespectful, but I think sooner or later I'm just going to have to <laughs> just, like, let it go because it's, it's a lot to, to take in and kind of keeps me up. Trying to to feel, to trying to feel good about because I'm getting back to them, other than than feeling bad and just leaving on red. But it, it, it gets a lot to manage. Um, but my friends have been awesome and they've been supportive and reached out and all of them. I got to see a couple of them yesterday on the off day, which was nice. Yeah, no doubt. I'd finally, be here, have an off day, relax <laughs> a little bit. Um, Going now, as, you, as you're going to head in your four, fifth, and sixth starts, what's the key in between starts for you to keep the mind and the body right? I think just to keep doing what I've been doing and keep building off of each, each start, like I said, and with that, not trying to overload myself with information and kind of just keep everything as simple as possible but detailed at the same time. How much video do you watch? Um... Probably, I'd say probably a couple hours worth in general over spurts. Nothing, I mean, my attention span to to pay attention to stuff like that for multiple, for multiple, I mean, for 20 to 30 minutes at a time is tough. So it's like 10, 15 minute spurts and probably over five days I'll look at the video and some hitters and kind of build off of that. Look at swing and miss, look at contact and really that's, yeah, that's about it. Well, you're in the big leagues, man. Yeah. You're living. You're yeah, like when you tell people you're living a dream. You are living a dream. Yeah, I'm. I'm in the big leagues. I, I mean, can't complain about that one bit. And no one can really ever take that away from me. I've been a big leaguer now, so. Well, ever since you got to AAA, we're like, man, if he ever makes it up, this will be great. Because yeah. I, you know, I haven't met you when you were a little kid and, and following your story. And like I said, your story is very inspirational. And every start, every win it gets better and your story gets better yeah. and a lot of people will look up to you and uh yeah 
I mean, no pressure that way, but just that just it, it just shows you what you've done can show people there is a path. It just can't. Not everybody has to be a first-round draft pick. Not everybody has to be a bonus baby. It's believe in your dreams, mm-hmm. and your dreams can come true. Exactly. Yeah. Believe it. Believe it. Believe in yourself. Trust yourself, and continue to go after what you want. Well, it's an honor to have you on the yeah. program. Good luck Thank to you. you. Thank we you. We got more coming up next right here on A's Cast Live. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than The Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. A's Cast Live continues from the town. Here's Chris Townsend. All right, something that I'm noticing in baseball right now, tons of streaks are going on in the game as I was going through the notes today. Now, we know about a lot of the the bad streaks, but when you got bad streaks, that means somebody's got to be winning. Like, the Nats are on pace to lose 106 games. We've talked about the A's. We've talked about the Tigers. But that means some teams got to be winning. Yankees have won 17 of their last 19. Braves have won 16 of their last 18. Let's see. The Guardians have won 15 of 19. Phillies, by the way, have won 15 of 18. They're now 14 and 17 of their interim manager, Rod Thompson. I guess that was the right move, right? Get rid of Girardi. Uh, Mets are hot, and they're playing the Astros. They're hot. White Sox have won five of seven. Milwaukee now with their winning streak. They've highly outscored their opponents after they were struggling a little bit. But you kind of go through it, and it's kind of you're. It's a tale of like two different leagues. It's either like you're hot or you're not. There's not a whole lot in the middle. There's not a whole lot of 500 being played. I don't know what that means. We can ask Eno Saris what that means. But you either are a team that's trending up or a team trending down. Obviously, the two teams we got going here today are going to be trending down. But I do find that interesting. Here we are. You know, you're in June. It's mid, I mean, we're in summer. We're about to hit July. And what does this mean for down the stretch? The haves and the have-nots, I'm not talking about payroll, but it'll be the teams that are winning. Yeah. It's like two different leagues. You've got teams that win, teams that lose, and not a whole lot in the middle. Uh, the team for me to watch right now going forward, I know I'm going to go chalk here and go shocker, go watch the Dodgers because why? The Mookie Betts injury, I want to see how that plays out for them. I know they're winning right now against the Reds in the third inning. The Reds have lost four straight, and uh, they're not a very good ball club. But the Dodgers losing Mookie Betts is – they could actually leave the door wide open for Bob Melvin and the Padres. They're playing better. And Manny Machado might avoid the injured list with that ankle injury. By the way, good luck to our guy Bobby Melvin again out. Did you know that? Oh, I didn't know that. COVID. Ugh. Had surgery on his prostate, luckily no cancer, and was back doing well. And then, wham, he's got COVID now. Uh, it's not a bad uh, – I mean, he's living in San Diego still. I mean, hey, I got, I got – my wife and I had COVID in San Diego too. We were stuck on there a few extra days, but Bob will bounce back. 
He did bounce back from the, the prostate. Bounce, he'll bounce back from it. The Padres are playing really, really well. Yes, they are. Although Tatis still isn't swinging a bat, apparently, and who knows when he'll Machado's be Machado's not going to go on the IL, which is good news for yeah. them. Very optimistic that he will not. Um, their starting pitching has been great. Joe Musgrove could be the NL Cy Young winner. You know, you guys, I, you know, I'm always the glass half full guy. You're the glass. You're glass half full. I'm glass half full. You're glass half empty. Not always. Pretty much. I'm Mr. Raw, Raw, Sunshine, and Lollipops. I mean, I, I mean. till the postgame I mean, show. depends on what you want to talk about, but, yeah, I mean. I, well, I, I mean, I'm waiting for, I mean, you've been telling me Tatis is going to be fine, DeGrom's going to be fine. All these guys that haven't played are just going to be fine. I'll tell you who is going to be fine. What's the date today? Today's uh, June 21st. If you haven't played and it's June 21st and you're not coming, okay, there is a difference of, Let's just say you had Tommy John surgery or you had knee surgery, and they knew that you were going to be out during this period of time. That's one thing that a team has planned for. They understand. You've got a timeline. This is how we're going to work you back. But when you're a guy that got however you got injured, whether it was messing around or it was a baseball injury, whether you're riding a motorcycle or you weren't. All right, Jeff Kent. Well, he was washing his car. Yeah, Fernando Tatis actually made Allegedly. it. Allegedly. Yeah. Um, there, there's something that, you, I mean, aren't you aren't you worried that we're June 21st and you're somebody that has not played yet and you're not going to play when the calendar hits July? Um, I would be a little concerned. The Grom is interesting because will he be back as the – now, Scherzer's pitching right now in Double A, so he'll be back for the Mets. But like literally right now, pitching yeah, in Double yeah, A, literally he's pitching right. today. Uh, so I'd be concerned about about Degrom. I mean, there's there's guys out there too that are struggling. Like, will will Cody Bellinger ever get back to Cody Bellinger again? He's hitting like two twelve right now. Yelich isn't having that great of a year, but the Yelich hasn't had a good year in a couple years. Either has Bellinger. They both. I know. Bad. You had them both going to the Hall of Fame. I'll tell you who is going to the Hall of Fame. That'd be O'Neill Cruz from the Pirates. God, you've just been dying to get this super freak shortstop kid in. He's 6'7", yeah. playing shortstop. And no one's going to know. What do you mean? It was all over MLB Network last night and MLB no Now. No one's going to know. Why, because he plays in Pittsburgh? No one's going to know. Send him to New York now just so baseball oh, yeah. can enjoy him. Yeah, I'm sure that, I'm sure that trade's right. Because every single time I've turned on MLB Network lately, I had to turn it off today. The whole show was about the Yankees. I can't take Well, they are 15-17. I, th- I saw him both throw out a set there. Are they as good as the 19? The, the, uh, it was the 1998 Yankees? 98 Yankees, yeah. Are I, they as I, good? I think I took a picture of that graphic. Oh, they're going through all their OPS pluses. Let me see if I have it real quick. I mean, I don't even know why we're even going to play the rest of the season. They should just let the Yankees play all the way to the World it, Series. Yeah, Jose Trevino has a better OPS plus than, Jose, or, uh, than Jorge Posada. Um, Rizzo's better than Tino Martinez. Glaber Day is better than Knobloch. The only guy that's not better than the other guy, Isaiah Conner-Falefa, is not doing better than Derek Jeter. You know, that's something that I'm going to ask Eno Saris. Is he allowed to talk about anything other than the Yankees right now? Is there a ban on, on the national guys of talking about anything other than New York? Well, I mean, the Yan- I mean again, they're 15-17. Uh, Anthony Rizzo has 19 home runs. I did not see that coming. Um, uh, in June, in ju- yeah, in he's, June he's he's been hitting, he's been killing the ball. I'm sure you have the numbers. You want the numbers? He's tied with Trout, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and Byron Buxton for the most home runs in June at eight. He leads AL with 20 RBIs this month, and only Jake Cronenworth and Luke Voigt. 
Padre teammates? Uh, with three home runs and 12 runs in the last 10 games. Uh, I, he's, I mean, he's playing well. I mean, the Yankees starting pitching. I mean, I think I think it's in there with the stat against the Rays. They've only allowed like eight earned, eight earned runs all year against the Rays. You know Derrick. who's finished? Uh, who? You know who's awful right now? And I wouldn't buy stock in him. Last seven games. If you're going to tell me the Rays as a team. Aaron Judge, uh, it's over. He's hitting a buck 54 last seven games. Uh, the youngster Griff over here had him at the MVP already. His season's done. He can't hit. They figured him out. Sure, he'll be fine. You think he's going to be okay? It's a contract here. That's why he cares so much. What a time is it? Ask Anthony Rendon how that worked out. 4.59. Oh, see? Oh, there's Eno Sears. On, on, on cue. I, we, we're going to have to ask him. Come around. You're now going to be on television as was the, the the YouTube slash A's cast now? Yeah, I got to do the YouTube for my podcast too. So this is I mean, that's what you got to do, everybody. You just don't. It's just not audio anymore. They want to they want to see the great Eno Saris <laughs> from the Athletic. I was just wondering because now that MLB Network has just turned into the Yankees channel. As you as a national columnist for the Athletic. Are you allowed to talk about anything other than the Yankees right now? Is that allowed? I have to tell you, man, as a writer, as a national writer, you are also a businessman, and you also know how many reads you will get when you write about every team. So, Are you uh, saying there's more clicks when you do it about uh, the Yankees? There is. There is. But uh, the nice thing about where I've gotten to my career is actually that nobody talks to me like that. So I, I do get to just write about what I find interesting. So. Oh, there is no doubt about that. <laughs> you come up with some stuff that's very interesting, uh, which the one read that I don't know if it was good for baseball. I, I Now that you've had time, you worked on it for a long time. It's out. I'm sure you've got a lot of reaction to it. You've had time to think about it. But obviously swinging less. I mean, you want to swing at quality strikes, strikes that you can drive, pitches that you feel comfortable with. But when you – what was the reaction when some people were taken away going, wait a minute, this guy's saying swing less and it's better for the game? Less action? No, it's – if I was coaching a team, like if I was coaching my kids or if I was, uh, you know, in the front office here in Oakland, I would be telling my players to swing less. So if I wanted my team to win – I would tell them to swing less. How do you tell a hitter to swing less, though? I would just, I would take, I would have a hitting coach that preached. In fact, there's numbers that show that hitting coaches, the number one thing that a hitting coach changes on a team is how aggressive they are. That's the number one thing they change. All the other stuff is too much luck, too much noise, right? Do they hit homers? Do they do this? Do they do that? That's the players doing that, right? But the one thing that a hitting coach can come in and actually have an effect on is swing more or swing less. So I would get a hitting coach that was a swing-less hitting coach. Or, 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 to put it, a more patient. Yes, I would have a more patient hitting coach. But one thing that you're actually seeing that's pretty interesting, and it's about the Yankees, I'm sorry. <laughs> what did I tell you? <laughs> Welcome to Yankee Live here on the field of the Oakland Athletics. We'll be talking Yankees baseball. Glaber Torres coming up next <laughs> as we get you ready for the. Well, they have five hitters that are in uh, that have improved the most year over year in barrel rate, which means they're hitting the ball really hard. They have five guys doing it, and those five guys are all being more aggressive. So, in fact, it's a little bit. It's always more complicated because to certain certain player groups, you ha like 
for example, let's say we're developing a very passive group of hitters. And in the minor leagues, we're telling everybody, don't swing, don't swing, be patient, be patient, wait for your pitch, right? Then you might actually want to have a major league hitting coach that says, all right, you're up here, it's time to go. Be aggressive on strikes. We've trained you to know where the strike zone is and to be patient. And now I'm giving you that last bit of training, which is go get it. Because I I believe we had that here in Oakland years ago when – you, you essentially had guys that if they got three balls on them, they were taking a strike. And it was basically throughout the organization, they did not want you swinging 3-0. Like 3-0 was a no-no. Mm-hmm. They preached so much patience that guys got up here and it was like, pull the trigger. You, you got it. And we mm-hmm. saw a lot of called third strikes, I think, in a lot of ways, really hurt Jack Cuss' career. Yeah, yeah. And that's why it's, it's never as simple as um, you, there's, there's very few mottos in baseball where you just have like one thing. Like I did write a piece, swing less, right? But you wouldn't say that all the time, you know? And in, in 3-0 counts, in fact, in 0-0 and 3-0 counts, we probably swing too little. I would agree. Because you're getting a much better pitch. It's probably the only there's, time that you might get a fastball. There's this freak out thing about the count. Yeah. Like there's still baseball people are still – it, it kind of reminds me how football people used to be. You run on first down, <laughs> you run on second down, and then you throw on third down. And then all of a sudden someone went, well, why don't we throw on first down? Yeah, right, yeah. Why, why can't we run on we, – we, you know, you can actually run. You can run a draw play on third down because they think you're going to pass. Like, be, don't be so predictable. And that's, and that's what you're seeing, I think, on the pitching side right now. Pitchers are really good at not giving you a fastball and fastball counts. That you know, you still there still slightly exists 3-0 and 0-0. You're still a little bit less more likely to see a fastball, but that number keeps going down every year. Okay, we have a we continue to have a problem. This thing right here is a baseball, and we have news about it again. And we don't even know exactly is this a juice baseball? <laughs> is this this Dead. is a this is a batting practice ball? So I doubt it was in the humidor, yeah, right? right? But it hasn't been rubbed up with the mud. The Mississippi mud that they've been rubbing baseballs up for so many years. The, it came out today that there was a letter sent to all the teams about how they have to, how they have to apply the mud, how much time, what is it? Because basically, you, you put it on to get rid of the slickness and the white coating. Is you want a little slick because you can supposedly get better baseball. I mean, better grip, even though you don't have spider tack or copper right, tone or right, whatever. Right. Um, we're still talking about the baseball. I know. And, and I did talk to a couple of people that uh, are, you know, in charge of rubbing baseballs. And to them, it wasn't, uh, there weren't that many things that were different. Uh, but the biggest thing was you cannot uh, put them back in the bag and put them in the humidor because then they're just all sitting together and clumped together. And then with they, mud on them, with mud on them, they don't dry well. So you got to actually put it back in the box and put it in the humidor so that they dry kind of uniformly. That's a big difference. Um, the other big difference is um, there's, a, there's actually a regulated amount of water that goes in the mud now. So some places they might put more water in the past, and some places they put less water. Now it's like measure the water you're putting in the mud so that it's the same uniform mudness. But I, this is the weirdest thing to me, this mudding thing, because it feels to me like an 18th century, 19th century solution. You know what I mean? It's like uh, there's no other sport where, you know, the, 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 the quarterback isn't like, um, oh, how, you know, oh, we're in Arizona. I can't grip the football here. 
You know what I mean? Oh, I can't throw this thing. What is that? <laughs> yeah, what's going on with this? <laughs> like, there's nobody you know, in, the, in hockey. You don't, you don't like. Uh, oh, we're in Toronto. The puck here is is soft, so like it's not frozen. Yeah, so like <laughs> you, you gotta, you, you can't take those long shots. You get, we gotta go. Yeah. We gotta go up to the net. You know. I don't know. In soccer, they do – sometimes in soccer there are – you know, I'm, I, I only kind of watch the World Cup. I'm not, like, a big aficionado. But every World Cup they do bring out a new ball, and there are people who complain, oh, this one knuckles or this or that. So soccer does have a little bit of this. But it is I, – I somehow – I think it's kind of still unique that we're – we're arguing about how to store the baseball, how to rub up the baseball, what kind of baseball it should be, how bouncy it should be, and it changes every year. And uh, frankly, the the way that the players are reacting to it is uh, just they're defeated and upset, and they feel like they have to change how they play the game every year based on what's going on. I was just talking to Ramon Laureano. This year he's got the lowest strikeout rate of his career, the highest ground ball rate of his career, and I said, "Is that a reaction to how the ball is pl- ball is playing?" And he said, "Yes." He said, "I have to, I've had five home runs stolen from me already this year," and, and and that's the kind of conversation that everybody's having in in clubhouses. Did you see the guy? Who, I hit this ball 110 and it didn't go out. Did you see that ball? He also hit 110, same launch angle, and his went out. Why? You know. And so they're they're struggling. I had another player tell me. They told me in 2019 when the ball was flying to touch the ball, hit the ball high, hit hit fly balls. We got to hit fly balls. The ball's flying. We got to hit fly balls. So they had the launch angle revolution, right? Well, now the ball's dead. Now I'm supposed to hit ground balls now. And so the I think I feel really badly for players because in the name of trying to have a consistent ball every year, baseball is actually changing the ball process every year. And, and players, and in the middle of the season. This mudding thing is coming in the middle of the season. Spider tack, middle of the season. They're changing, it feels like to the players, they're changing our equipment, they're changing what we're, the rules of the game what is how it feels to them underneath us, you know, while we're trying to play this game. I mean, it's, it's insane. And I only have a San Jose State education. <laughs> and my buddy over the weekend had one of his teams down in Pismo, and they had, you know, it was a tournament and a Father's Day thing, and they all got to watch SpaceX send a sent a, a rocket up into space, and they saw it come back down to land. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, you got multiple people sending stuff all around the world up into space, and we can't figure this thing out? We got multiple countries sending people to space, and we can't figure this out? Well, you know, an interesting thing is that, like, we still – these are still handmade, and that's that's something that is different from every sport. Soccer, that is, you know, it's still it's still machine-made. All ever, all other balls in every other sport are machine-made. And the way it's explained to me is just the idea of stitching like this, um, maybe it's possible with machines, but it would be super expensive. And we, in, in baseball, we give the ball away, right? The hit a home run, it goes out, hit a foul, foul ball. Yeah. At the end of the, you know, we toss the balls in. The, the pitcher says, no, I don't like this one, give me another one. We go through balls. And so if you were had like an actual sort of laser stitching uh, thing, it would, have to, it would have to have this technology to know, be able to read the ball, ocular sort of recognition technology, and then it would have to kind of move and kind of do laser stitching, and every ball would, be, would have like $100 of labor in it. And we and I don't think we can have a hundred like if balls were a hundred dollars each, 
you know, you'd have to go back in the stands and be like, please, I, I need that yeah, back. Can we get that back, please? <laughs> yeah. That's what we did in college baseball. We always, right. got, we always got our balls back. What's the problem here? And that's what they do in football, right? You can't, you don't get to keep the football if it. If You're they, bringing it back, baby. Yeah, they're going. They're coming to get it, right? So I, it's just it, the fact that we're still dealing with questions about the equipment, and the players are still dealing with that, and we're wondering. What ball are we using? Is it a, you know, players still wonder. We heard Chris Bassett earlier. We've had multiple pitchers say it and agree with him. And I think this mudding is actually in response to the, the, the concerns that Chris Bassett rose. Really? Yeah, because uh, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe it's the ball with the seams. The seams can be different. Uh, the humidor might have some effect on the seams. But what Bassett was saying, what a lot of players are saying, was that it's slippery. And I think that has to do with mudding. So I think this is I think this is a is an attempt to get the mudding the same everywhere. Could there also be a pitchers are just complainers because then they got the tack <laughs> the tacky ball a ball that's tackier that's going to give you more grip. They've been experimenting. That's a that. 20th century solution. I think it'll be. But better they're than all mudding. complaining about it. I know, but I, I think they. It's gotta, like you can't make these guys happy. They got We're going to take mud and water and do this, and that's going to be the solution. We can have sprays, like right, like it's, yeah. It's like we. I use spray oil in my when I'm cooking. You know, like let's 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 spray the ball with something. We can have this random thing that no one's ever heard of that people who only deal in concrete it's called spider tack. Yeah, right. We can have that that way. Well, the problem is that got pitching got to be so dominant. Pitching continues to be dominant. Why? Yeah, I, I point to to Velo. Um, you know what you have is uh, pitchers are taking as long as possible uh, between pitches, like max reps when they're when weightlifting. So they're, they're resting in between pitches to throw as hard as they can. They're training to only throw 100 pitches. We're going to have this year, we're going to have maybe two pitchers in all of baseball that will average 100 pitches per start. Um, if that, we might have zero. That's um, pathetic. And Well, it's, it's pathetic, but also it's what we're asking them to do. It's what we're training them to do. True. And, and pitchers come out of the minor leagues now, they only have 80, 90, 100 pitches in them. And because we want you to throw as hard as you can for five innings, then we have other five other guys that are going to throw as hard as they can for five innings. Yeah, innings you, 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 want, you, want, you want the max. Yeah. You want, I want everything you got, and when, you, when we think you don't got any more, we'll bring in the next guy and to do it. throw as hard as he can. Problem is. Part of the injuries that we see. It, yeah, and you also talk, well, we had 14 guys. There's just not enough pitcher, good pitchers in the world. I mean, obviously, I mean, when we talk to these front office people, they want rosters of 30, 35. They'd love to. I mean, how many guys do you think they'd love to have down Two there? Two ways out. Two ways to get to get back a little bit velo, get back to where we used to be pitching-wise, maybe give the hitters a little bit of a breather. Two ways. Limit the amount of pitchers on the roster further. It's 13 now. Make it 12. Dave Stewart said 10. 10. I like it because then you have to have guys. You have to have a reliever that can go two or three. You know, you have to have the starter that can go six or seven. Everything changes, right? The other thing is pitch clock. Put a pitch clock out there so that they can't rest between pitches. So they have to train to be more marathon runners instead of sprinters. And then, then we might get some of that old baseball back. Also, personally, I went and saw the San Jose Giants. Uh, my kids loved it. Uh, the game great was, barbecue. was like, yes, the barbecue was great. Uh, it was like two two hours plus. Uh, they were on the edge of their seats. Wait, what? 
The game was two like two 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 fifteen. What or is the sport you speak yeah. of? Yeah, the only and and some people were like, well, there's no clocks in baseball, and that's weird. There was one weird moment where my kids were like doing the countdown. But I'm telling you, man, I I, I want my kids to love baseball, and and this is the first time I've ever seen them on the edge of their seats going 10, 9, 8, 7 on the pitcher. You're going to see me up in the press box doing that. So, I don't know. It was an element that, that got them engaged. Also, there was just more action. It was just going. It was it's just faster. Going. Yeah, it was just faster. It was good. And, and that's why the other sports, the other sports, I mean, that's something that people need to understand. I, I, I think you're a relic if you're the – I like baseball because there's not a clock. I don't think it. There's very few people. Do you know who the basketball that. didn't have a clock once? And they had games that was like ten to eight. Can you imagine watching an hour and a half of basketball and the my, score was ten to eight? That's my point. That would murder someone. There's a reason they put their <laughs> clocks in. Yeah. There's a there's a reason they make them dribble the basketball up. There's a reason why they make the quarterback snap the ball. There's a reason. Yeah. It's to have flow to the game and make the game go. Because otherwise, it'd be a snooze fest, yeah. like we have with three and a half hour games. Yeah, I I think uh, pitch clock. I'm 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 in on the pitch clock, and I'm in on on fewer pitchers on the roster. Uh, the one thing that's complicated, though, because I understand labor and I understand fighting for those roster spots, and they fought for those roster spots, and it's valuable jobs for people. And I think it would be a little weird to have a 26-man roster and you're allowed to have, like, you know, 16 hitters and 10 pitchers. That would be weird. So I, I, I'm more incremental. I'm saying let's try 12. Well, they took you know, it. It's front offices took it to the extreme. Yeah. And they especially did it in September. They mm -hmm. skewed games when you're like the Rays and, and the, the Brewers. Brewers. Oh my God! It was terrible. They skewed. So it's call like, up like eight pitchers. I understand the front office people are not here for your entertainment dollar. <laughs> they're here to win. They're just here to do one thing and win, and they're get. So it's almost like you got to take the game a little bit back from them you when it comes to roster rules. building. You got to change those rules. Yeah. Uh, when you look at some of these teams. One's out here today in the A's. We've seen it with the Tigers, and I've got these baseball notes. We're seeing some historically bad offense. Just not bad offense, historically bad offense. Well, you haven't done anything about the velo, right? So the velo is higher than it's ever been. It's Wait, we're be, also throwing more, more breaking balls than ever so before. So it's 93-9, yeah. Actually, I did this uh, for a piece I did recently. I looked, and I said, right now, uh, the average Major League pitcher throws 93-9. Uh, and throws the fastball 40% of the time. If you go back to when we started tracking pitches, nobody pitched like that. The closest was Randy Johnson, who threw 93-plus and threw his fastball. He was almost 50-50. There, there's nobody pitches like they used to anymore. There's nobody pitches like that. And part of it is all the breaking balls. Part of it is all the velo. So you, if you don't do anything about the velo, I don't think you can do anything about the breaking balls. No. You can't tell them what to what Well, to the throw. only thing you can do about the velo is move the mound back. Or I'm saying the pitch clock may reduce velo. Oh, uh, that's it. You know, I never thought about that. That's why That's why we bring him on. Yeah, commissioner. So. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, the new commissioner oh, of Major you know League Baseball. Oh, you know what else reduces velo? Are you gonna be, is your family going to be okay moving to New York? <laughs> you know what else reduces velo is limiting the amount of pitchers on the roster. Yeah, because guys got to throw more pitches. They, yeah, they can't exert themselves. Yeah, because yeah, that's back in the day, like, you know, when, like, let's just say when I was a pitcher coming up in the 80s and the 90s in college, the only time you wanted to throw all out 
was a reliever and you knew you were a one inning guy. That was if the you, difference. If you were a starter, you had to try. You, you, you had to save it. 140 pitches. You had to save the gas. Yeah. You couldn't go out there first inning and you know let it you all out. You'd be done. Throw 250 on the season. And now I watch these college baseball games and every They're kid is up there throwing hard. as hard as they can. <laughs> but he's not going deep. Yeah. They're not going deep in games. Well, they they watch this game. They want to come here. You know. So they they, they, they they want to do whatever it takes to get here. So they're going to play like the, the people they see playing out here. Okay, it is hot. It is summertime. I got to get inside. You're a be- yes, before you wilt. <laughs> uh, you're a beer aficionado. You take us throughout the year. What do you drink in fall? What do you drink during the holidays? What do you drink when it's really cold? It's now spring. All right, it's hot. Yeah. What are we drinking? I mean, I, I did I did a collaboration with a brewery in Chicago called Old Irving that they've got an Ephus beer that I did a collaboration with them. As in Four, the Ephus pitch? Yeah, and it's a 4% hazy. So like a crusher hazy, still got a little bit of taste. You know, it's a 4%er. But I'm also doing a party this weekend. You may see me around town in a bus this weekend. <laughs> in uh, It's a big Lebowski theme, so I'm going to have my bathrobe on. Uh, and my wife bought me one of those terrible big Lebowski pants that he wears. Um, I bought a double IPA, so. In hot weather. In hot weather, so enjoy we're going to be in that, trouble. Enjoy that party <laughs> bus. That's going to be a very interesting party make bus. Make sure we got a ton of water, too. So you're saying like like a little hazy right now? I think, you know, but not like a not not the double IPA like I'm doing this no, weekend. No, that's, that's not. Yeah. But like a, uh, there are, Cellar Maker makes hazy pale ales. I think pale ale is, is the thing that I like in the summer. Yeah, because if four I go, to, four, four to five percent. If they say, "Hey, we're going to the beach. We're going over the hill to Santa Cruz." What am I doing? I'm doing a pale, pale ale. Pale ale, yeah. I All like right. a pale ale. Good stuff. I mean, you could do a Kolsch too, like a hoppy Kolsch. There's some of those out there. Yeah, doing a double a double IPA at the beach. <laughs> <laughs> That's not. <laughs> Might as well have a stout out there. You're gonna be slight. You're gonna be in the silent. <laughs> Why is Dad's face all red? <laughs> you are the best, my friend. Fu- future commissioner of baseball, or we, or or he, you may be able to write the man who saved baseball. Oh right, yeah, sure. <laughs> I love it. We got more coming up next right here Thanks on A's Cast Live. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than The Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. Streaming from the East Bay, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. All right, we're getting out of here. We want to thank John Shea. Remember the new book, Long Shot, Building Homes, Dreams, and Baseball Teams, the story of Steve Schott. Uh, John Shea, national baseball columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle, good friend of the program. Check out his book. Enjoy it. Jared Koenig, pitcher for the Oakland Athletics, and you just heard Eno Saros from The Athletic. We're going to have David Force tomorrow. It's been a while. The GM. We're going to have the GM. We're going to have Tommy Malone back with the Mariners. Former Athletic. Uh, we had him a couple of years. When we first launched Ace Cassie, him. I remember it was him and Coco. Yeah, that's right. So we'll have Tommy Malone again. Uh, that's what we got going for tomorrow. Real quick, I said I was going to do this. Um, the Mariners had a lot of expectations coming into this year. Remember, 
They signed Robbie Ray. They were going to call Julio Rodriguez, Jared Kelnick. Well, Kelnick's not playing in. They were going to the playoffs. They were going to the playoffs. They were going to break their tw- their losing their their playoff yes. drought of since 2001. Well, that uh, that hasn't lived up, and it made me think of an NFL team that uh, they're kind of similar to. Remember when Baker Mayfield was drafted and Jarvis Landry signed there, and they got OBJ and Miles Garrett, and they were going to they were going to change the NFL and the AFC Norris division. That the Steelers and the Bengals and well the Bengals are good then and the Ravens are in. How many times have they been in the playoffs since that all happened? It'd be once, one time. Is what two it, years ago? Two years, yeah, a couple years ago they, they 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 washed the Steelers out of the playoffs in the first round. Since they moved back to Cleveland, they've been in the playoffs twice. It made me think that's the Mariners essentially. All the expectations, they're ten games under five hundred now. Their offense is one of the worst in the league. Robbie Ray is not pitching like they thought he was coming from the. Cy Young year he had last year. His numbers are getting a little bit better, but for what they're paying him, I don't see it. So what's the buying or selling? Oh, it's not a buy. I was just giving my – I just wanted to get my thing on the, the Mariners being the Browns. I was, like, hoping for a question. That was just an opinion piece to end the show. I mean, do you want a buying or selling? I can give you one. Give me one. All right. The Astros are 5-5 five and five over their last 10 games, but somehow they still have a 10-game lead over the Angels and the Rangers in the AL West. The Rangers are back by 10, Mariners 13, the A's by 19. Buying or selling the AL West race is over. It's over. It's, it's way over. Who's going to catch them? Uh, uh, you, the Mariners? The, these guys out here going to catch them? No. Uh, Mike, Trout, they, Mike Trout might miss the playoffs again. Anthony Rendon's not walking through <laughs> that door for the Angels. That's true. And uh, Ranger, Rangers don't have enough pitchers. What, what? The A's are going to catch them? I don't think so. No. So, it they're 5-5 five and five in their last 10, and they still have gained crown in the division. Their lead has gone up. It is all over. Well, I was hoping you would say that. So that's I'm glad we agree on that one. We then, again, f- then again, we all thought the NL, the NL East was over, and Mets are only up by five and a half games over the Braves. You don't want to be Denny Green and crown him? Yeah, don't crown Oh, Pirates up 5-1. So the O'Neill Cruz era has begun. Thank you, everybody, for listening to A's Cast Live. We'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock right here on the field. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast. Check us out on the A's YouTube channel and, of course, on Twitter at Athletics24. Enjoy Mark Kotze. It's the Mark Kotze Show. We'll be back with A's Total Access. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than the Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into local Bay Area charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.